You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Now, White Sox Weekly, the official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. Get the fireworks ready. White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. So welcome in to White Sox Weekly, July 22nd, 2017. I say the date because it's pretty meaningful, given that we are still nine days from the Major League trade deadline, given that the White Sox themselves stated exactly what they were up to this coming year and the changes that were on the table for them, the fact that we're nine days from the Major League trade deadline and already there has been so much change to the White Sox organization. I don't know. I felt like it was kind of worth leading with what day it was. I'm Connor McKnight and welcome in to White Sox Weekly. 312-591-8900 is the phone number this afternoon. We've got a jam-packed show for you, but we're never too busy to take a couple of phone calls, 312-591-8900. I can hardly fathom what you'd want to talk about this afternoon. Uh, perhaps it's Yohan Mankata making his Major League debut. Maybe it's his first big league, uh, his first White Sox hit last night. Bases clearing, three RBI, triple. Uh, maybe it's the la- latest move the White Sox have made. Just in general, the trade of Todd Frazier, David Robertson, and Tommy Canely over to the Yankees for top prospect Blake Rutherford, Tyler Clippard, and a couple more. Maybe it's what's left for the White Sox to do. Indeed, there could be more trades. Rick Hahn, the general manager of this ball club, has said that they're still open for business, and it does seem as though there's business left to do, potentially, on this White Sox 25-man roster. There are a number of things that we're going to talk about probably hitting each and every one of those little facets of White Sox baseball over the course of the afternoon. And if you want to chime in on any of it or add your own, feel free. Phone number stays the same, 312-591-8900. If you're not the phone calling type or if you are just uh, out and about and unable to you know, press the numbers, you can hit us on Twitter. C1McKnight is the Twitter handle. You tweeted us. We get your tweets here on the show. Got a lot of things to go through on Twitter via the mailbag. A number of things I want to get to concerning the call-up of Mankata. You all have left some pretty interesting questions and comments uh, about the club. So we'll get to that in the mailbag. We will, of course, get you the farm report, too. A couple of White Sox pitchers in the farm system had perhaps their best nights going. And we'll tell you about them coming up a little bit later this afternoon. You'll also, I think we mentioned it, though, hear from the general manager, Rick Hahn. I don't know that everybody's able to stay up late with us after that Dodger game, after the trade had been made on the postgame show, but we carried Rick Hahn's press conference that night concerning the trade that was made. We stayed up late so you guys, so you could stay up late with us, I guess. We, we played that press conference, and a lot of questions were asked, some good ones, too. Hahn's responses kind of elucidate a few different aspects of this club and why the trade was made the way it was. I thought it was certainly certainly interesting that the White Sox packaged three guys together in Frazier, Robertson, and Canely and moved them to one club. seemed like they had individual assets there, and yet by combining them, well, we'll let Rick tell you exactly how that worked out, but seemed like they got a pretty decent uh, haul in return. So we'll play that press conference for you a little bit later on, probably about 4.15. I'm sorry, 3.45 or so. Let me take a look at the rundown. Yeah, about 4 o'clock maybe. Probably about 4 o'clock. 
We'll also hear from Todd Frazier and David Robertson and Tommy Canely as they were taken off from the White Sox clubhouse. But first and foremost, and before you know we reach too far back here, I do want to take a look at one of the young men who has arrived in this White Sox clubhouse as opposed to having departed. Yohan Mankata has finally made his White Sox debut. He is two games through, has himself one knock. Mentioned the bases clearing triple the other day. Yesterday, in fact, in Kansas City, it was very hot. It was incredibly hot. The bases were loaded. Mankata drove a hanging curveball opposite way into the left center field gap and plated three, scooted around the third base for a triple. And I think... What's been interesting to me so far, and I kind of want to start it with Mankata because that's been kind of the most eye-popping thing of the last few days for the White Sox, is that in his debut against the Dodgers at Guaranteed Break Field, of course, there were a ton of eyes on him. And more than there were going to be at that game. I'm sure it was Game of Thrones nights, and, and that's awesome. Valar Margulis and all that good stuff. But as... The walk-up kept on getting bigger and bigger at Guaranteed Rate Field, and his tickets kept flying out of the booth for people to come see Yohan Mankata in his call-up. I, I knew, I guess I knew from the moment we started SoxFest downtown, end of January, that the day was going to be a big one, that whenever Yohan Mankata ended up coming up, that that evening was going to be a pretty marketable one in in very real ways, right? Like not just the callous and, well, not callous, but look, you got to move turnstiles, butts in seats, the whole thing, but also from a very real and future sense of the White Sox. And I think, you know, as we kind of talk about Yohan Mankata, there's a couple of things to remember about his development, about where he's at as a baseball player, where he's at as a human being too. Uh, Two guests we're going to have on the show throughout the course of the afternoon. We'll talk to Kat Garcia who writes up the White Sox for WLSAM.com. We'll talk to her about 4.15. She wrote a piece uh, just two days ago, I think it was, about the relationship between Mancata and Jose Abreu and just what that's meant for both of them over the last couple of months and what it may mean going forward, not just for this season, but perhaps for others. I find that aspect of of interlinking those two players and, and the, indeed the future of the White Sox, a real interesting one. And perhaps that kind of linking goes even beyond just Mancata. Luis Robert is, is in a pretty similar situation as Mancata has been and as Abreu has been before him, coming over from Cuba, dealing with all of the immigration stuff and, and not playing baseball for a pretty good long time because you just kind of got to lay low and you don't really have a place to play until you get signed and then you do I mean it's a very similar background for those three guys and others too in the organization I'm not don't mean to say it's just those three but it really does seem that Jose has taken it upon himself or or maybe that's not even all that accurate because it does seem like Yohan Mankata has gotten right there in step with him and realized that the both of them that they're better together than they are apart for the next little bit. And that's an interesting thing to look at, that kind of mentorship, that kind of of relationship with a teammate like that as the clubhouse itself changes as much as it has already and may still continue to change. I mean, look, these are ballplayers, and they're, they're no strangers to having the guys around them, the guys in uniform, change in and out throughout the course of a season, whether that's injuries, whether it's trades, whether it's, 
you know, minor in, in the minor leagues, guys getting called up to different levels. This has happened for them quite a bit. But it's the first time for a lot of these guys, whether it's Mankata or whether it's a guy like Tim Anderson even, where that change has happened at the big league level. And I think in both what the White Sox have in the clubhouse, talking about Abreu and, and others, and what they've got in the management side of things in Ricky Renneria, I think it'll be real important for the next couple of months to kind of have a, a gelling process, I guess. To have guys come together and, and kind of realize what the stated goal is, what the what the common goal is, and how best to get there. And I got to tell you that in regards to setting out that goal and getting it done via you know methods that work together, I think Rick Ren- Rick Renneria has put a pretty good stamp on that approach. I think he's been able to. to explained pretty clearly to both the young guys coming in at various points during the season and the established veterans who have been there, the way they're trying to get things done. Is it successful every single time? Absolutely not. There's been growing pains already. There have been conversations about how to play the game, about how best to approach a situation, about how to deal with stuff on and off the field, I'm sure. But for a consistency of message, or in terms of a consistency of message, I don't know that you could do it a whole lot better than the White Sox have set out to do so far this season. Bulls Nation, you can come out to the park on Monday, July 31st for Bulls Night as the Sox take on the Toronto Blue Jays. Purchase a specially priced ticket package to receive a game ticket, a White Sox-Bulls mini basketball, and a chance to watch BP before gates open. Goodness, you get all that stuff? You should do it. You should visit WhiteSox.com slash Chicago Bulls to purchase this specially priced ticket package and get all of that cool stuff that I just mentioned. Uh, here's the rundown for the rest of the show. Your phone calls are more than welcome. Want to know what you thought of Yohan Mankata's debut, uh, the work in an O2, or work in a walk from an O2 count against Kenta Maeda all the way up to the triple last night. I know it's only been two games, but why not bathe in some of the glory he's shown you already it's certainly been fun to watch and i think we're going to see a little bit more we get some news and notes to pass along a few things on some uh rehabbing and injured white Sox players we have uh, a very a minor league trade that went down last night concerning the white Sox. want to keep you up to date with that as well uh and of course four o'clock right after the four o'clock news uh we'll replay the rick Hahn press conference from the night of that fraser robertson canely trade to the Yankees so that in case you missed any little piece of it, I, I know it's kind of been a crazy run up to the weekend here. You got a chance to, to sit down with it here and kind of mull it over. We'll talk it through uh, once we're done as well. 312-591-8900 is the phone number. I'm Connor McKnight. This is White Sox Weekly, and we'll be right back here on WLS AM 890. From the set, another 3-2. He walked it. He was down a 1-2 and takes a walk. That's a very close pitches. And the pitch is swaying off live ball, left center field. This is hit deep. That's going to the wall for extra bases. Abreu home, Garcia coming home. Davidson's running third to home. He scores. Mikata has a triple to clear the bases, and the White Sox are blowing this one open at 5-1. to one. Two of the first Yoan Mankata highlights. The reel will grow, and you'll hear a lot of them, all of them. Right here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight, and this is White Sox Weekly. Ed Farmer with the call, of course. Yoan Mankata's first plate appearance as a White Sox was a, an 0-2 count 
drawn all the way back to a walk. I thought it was pretty impressive. Maybe a favorable call on that 3-2 pitch, but still, decent eye. Good work. And then there was the, the triple last night, his first hit as a White Sox. Nice to see that as well. Yohan Mankata has uh, impressed so far in his debut. He's been capable at second base. I don't know that he's had a ball hit to him yet that's, uh, that's really a, a challenge. He had a screaming liner, hit pretty much right at him last night, had one chopper. I shouldn't say a chopper. It was a pretty nasty two-hopper, hit pretty hard. He played off the chest and got the out pretty easily, 4-3 on the put-out. Other than that, I don't know that there's been a pop-up or two that he's had to range back on. Pretty routine stuff. We'll see um, exactly how Yohan Bencada has progressed over his playing time, through his playing time at AAA Charlotte. That really was, I think, for me, talking to scouts and guys who had seen him from outside the organization, that had been the, the part of Yohan Mankata's game that came with probably the most question marks. The rest of it is kind of, you know, other than the general, he's not played at the major league level, what's he really going to be, you know, that, all that good stuff. But from being the number one prospect, the questions did seem to be around the defense. Now, I went down to the Arizona Fall League last season and did not see Mankata. Just for whatever reason, any game I went to, he just I, I tried to catch him twice, he wasn't playing, and... And that whole thing, of course, this was before uh, he'd been traded over to the White Sox. I'd been looking to grab Mankata and see a game there, but I hadn't seen him. But I had heard the thing about the defense. And then watching him in spring training, a lot of balls that got hit to him, I, I thought he handled himself pretty well. Error or two here or there, but the hands looked good. The first step looked good. And at second base, you know, that position isn't all that challenging. Sure, it's tough. I mean, listen, you're playing major league defense. But, you know, guys like Dan Elgo have played that spot before and gotten by, you know, fine enough. So in Mankata, I, I've really been impressed, I guess, from what folks have told me about his play down at AAA, you know, coming back from an injury. I, I tend to think that that's, you know, certainly you don't want guys to get hurt, but it's going to happen during parts of the season, during parts of a player's career, and learning how to bounce back and deal with, you know, playing hurt, being injured, all that stuff. It's an important part of this game as much as maybe anything else. You have to understand that at some point, you're going to deal with an injury, and you're going to have to figure out how to deal with it. A couple of things. Speaking of injuries, before we get too far down the road here, uh, I wanted to keep you posted on what's been going on. does sound as though Jake Patrishka is going to make a couple of rehab work starts or, I guess, relief appearances down at AAA Charlotte. He's been dealing with the elbow issue. Jake spent a lot of time on the disabled list the last two years, had the hip issue that shut him down for almost all of last season. After the first game of this season, had the lat strain, went down with that. Of course, Patricia went down, and up came Tommy Canely. Canely came up to strike out everybody he could find. White Sox dealt him, Robertson, and Frazier over to the Yankees. So, you know, it's kind of the weird way things work throughout the throughout a baseball season. Uh, this from the Winston-Salem Dash to Eloy Jimenez. Top prospect picked up for Jose Quintana is day-to-day -day with a bruised foot. He left yesterday's game. He hit himself on the foot with a foul ball. Precautionary x-rays were negative. So that's a very good thing, obviously. But Eloy Jimenez, it looks like, is going to uh, hold out a day or two or rest up a day or two and get things set up and ready to roll. Uh, a minor league trade made last night, too, by the White Sox. And we'll have to see whether or not this affects the major league roster uh, right away or if it's going to take some time. But it sounds as though Mark Lowe and Gene Machi, who are both at AAA Tacoma for the Mariners, have been picked up by the White Sox. Uh, and indeed, I believe they did make that official. In fact, that was pretty late last night. So uh, two relievers who have some major league experience, both of them 35. 
Machi had been in the bigs earlier this season, um, over 36 and two-thirds. He's got a 3-4 ERA, seven Ks per nine, two walks per nine. Two guys who have gotten it done at the big league level before and with some of the changes that have been going on, of course, um, you've seen you know, the guys in the bullpen having to be taxed and tapped probably more times for, well, probably for more innings than I would imagine Don Cooper or Ricky Renneria would like. The appearances are always going to be high for Dan Jennings, and he's on a pace to uh, to appear boy, almost 70 times this season. So uh, that's calmed down a little bit lately, and he certainly had a good one last night, two and a third, striking out three and sitting on all seven he faced. But, you know, we've seen guys kind of get up and down and up and down in performance-wise, I mean, and have to go through some of the long innings. And now that Robertson and Canely are both gone, Anthony Swarzak probably has to bump up into that setup role. Tyler Clippard's already working as the closer, and last night didn't go all that well for him. But, you know, even still, if he's got that ninth inning, then you're looking for other guys to fill out some depth. And Mark Lowe and Gene Machi could be those guys, could be a guy or two uh, for a little bit of the rest of the season. And who knows? Uh, trades could be made here too. And that's you know kind of what I get want to get to here is that while Mancada's here, and big pieces have been moved. Jose Quintana, Frazier, Robertson, and Canley have all been moved. It, it does seem as though there may be a move or two left to make. A lot of folks on in the mailbag and on Twitter, at C1 McKnight is the Twitter handle, have asked, you know, what I what I think the next move is. And while, he, you know, the, some of them are pretty obvious, I, I think the one kind of screams at you. And whether or not it gets done at this or before this deadline is is probably a, a fair question for everybody involved. But Melky Cabrera has been fantastic of late. He's been consistent in his at bats, not walking a whole lot. But you know, with Melky, it's an aggressive approach. It's not giving away at bats. You know, he gets beat every once in a while for sure. Ball, ball player, everybody's gonna get beat. But he's hit for a little bit of power, especially since coming back from the All Star break. A few home runs here and there, a couple of doubles too, and I think. Even though the, the start of the season wasn't you know precisely what you wanted from him, he's come on real strong of late. And you know, the number he's attached to might be a little high for something that's straight up or the kind of return that you've seen with the deal with the Yankees and the deal to the Cubs, sending those three guys and then Quintana respectively to the Yankees and Cubs. You know, you've seen some top prospect meat come back. And, you know, whether Melky is combined in a deal that does that or whether there's I mean, because I wouldn't rule out something really creative or something fairly creative. Rick Hahn's done it before. A three-way trade that sent Jake Peavy to the Boston Red Sox was an interesting one. It brought Avi Garcia back to the White Sox. And perhaps while, you know, Peavy was kind of a headliner in that deal, Jose Iglesias went to the Tigers in return. So Peavy's kind of your headliner. I don't know that, you know, Melky might necessarily be a headliner in a trade at this point. But maybe he is that piece that helps two other teams get it done, move some money around, make sure that the prospect returns are right, and you're able to you know, continue on down this path in that way. It'll be a really interesting next couple of nine days, that's for sure. There are still moves to be made, and we'll see just exactly uh, how much Rick Hahn and the White Sox front office are able to get done. Certainly, they've done the lion's share of the work already, and the White Sox are in, I, I think, a, a better place for the future because of it.
Sox fans, you can join Ron Kittle, Harold Baines, and others on January 6th for Socks on the Beach with Apple Vacations. You stay seven nights at the all-inclusive Iberostar Paradiso del Mar in beautiful Riviera Maya, Mexico. There'll be a private welcome party, an autograph session, food and drink, and special group activities with your White Sox hosts. Visit applevacations.com slash White Sox to book your trip today. I happen to know a couple of guys who uh, work in this studio Monday through Friday who went on that trip last year. They had a blast. And I know a lot of White Sox fans who went on that trip with them had a blast as well. I highly recommend you look into this. If you're even at all thinking about, oh, I got a vacation coming up at the, uh, you know, once the year turns around, once the calendar flips to 2018, I've got some time. What should I do with that time? Where tropically, where can I go? It's not as cold as Chicago is in January. Uh, might I recommend to you visiting applevacations.com slash White Sox and booking your trip today. When we come back on the other side of the 4 o'clock news, we'll bring you Rick Hahn. And I want to do this for a couple of different reasons because I, I don't think everybody heard the – I know everybody heard the highlights from it, right? why we made this trade with three different guys. But I, I don't know that everybody has kind of gotten the context of, of what's later on down the line. To the other side of the trade deadline talk, it's the Yoan Mankata conversation. And we're going to continue that conversation with Kat Garcia at 415. So I figured, why not have the actual thoughts and words of the general manager of the ball club out there so that we can all talk about them together uh, when we have Cat on the phone, I think it's been really, it will be really interesting to watch, of course, Mankata's development in between the lines and, and how he becomes, how he still becomes a better and better ball player. Uh, or perhaps it's not slow at all. Who knows? The guy's immensely talented. But his acclimation to the roster and everything has seemingly uh, started already and in a real big way. So we'll get to that next. This is White Sox Weekly. You've got WLSAM 890. White Sox Weekly, the official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. Get the fireworks ready. White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. Hey, Husky fans, join us for NIU Day on Sunday, July 30th, as the Sox take on the Cleveland Indians at 110. Purchase this specially priced ticket package to receive your game ticket and a one-of-a-kind White Sox NIU hat. Hats are limited to the first 1,000 purchases, so get yours today. To purchase this specially priced ticket package, visit whitesox.com slash NIU. I'm Connor McKnight. Been talking about the uh, the trade that sent David Robertson, Tommy Canely, and Todd Frazier over to the Yankees for Blake Rutherford, Tyler Clippert, and two other prospects. Uh, Tito Polo, one of those guys coming over, and Ian Clarkin, the other prospect. Wanted to get you the latest, uh, get you the rather press conference from Rick Hahn from that night of the trade, in case you missed any of that conversation. I, we're going to have a conversation with uh, Kat Garcia of WLS. She's covering the White Sox, and we're going to talk quite a bit about the Abreu-Mancada dynamic and how those two kind of relate to each other. But for that and the uh, and, and the perspective on the trade, I figured why not you know just hear from the general manager of the ball club, the guy who did it. Here's Rick Hahn. This deal is a little bit different from the other ones we've done. But it accomplishes the same goal that we set out from the start, and that is to add as much potentially impact talent to this organization. Uh, Blake Rutherford, who headlines this deal, 
Uh, we view him as a sim similar caliber player to some of the position players that now head up our top prospect lists, a potential impact bat, left-handed hitter, uh, who has a chance to stay in center field and provide us not only with a, a quality at bat, but also uh, quality defense. Uh, over the last few weeks, we spent a considerable amount of time surveying the market for each of these players individually and decided that the more prudent path to acquiring more talent similar to what we have uh, over the last several months, the, the best path to acquiring the highest impact, potential impact talent, would be to bundle these players together. So I know it's uh, uh, perhaps a little surprising, uh, especially given what we had done over the last several months in terms of these individual trades, to see three players of the caliber of uh, Todd Frazier, Tommy Canley, and David Robertson all in the same deal. But in order to uh, get the caliber of return that helps continue the process that we've started here over the last several months, we felt this was the most prudent path to getting the most impactful talent in the organization. Uh, Ian Clarkin, uh, left-handed pitcher who is in Tampa right now, obviously a former uh, sandwich pick, has had some injury troubles along the way, but it, hopefully those are behind him. At age 22, he is having success in the Florida State League. Uh, has command of three pitches, knows how to locate, and uh, is an interesting guy with some upside that I look forward to having in the organization, working with our coaches. Tito Polo, center fielder who's gotten off to a torrid start in center field, uh, can run a little bit and, and swing it. Uh, and Tyler Clippert obviously helps fill a void created in our bullpen here today, uh, a veteran presence and, and someone who can help with some of the innings that have been vacated. So with that, any questions? this mean for uh, some of your prospects at the Meyer Leagues? It's a good question. I suppose I buried the lead when I failed to mention in this that Yon Moncada will be in uniform tomorrow. Uh, Brad Goldberg will also be joining him up from Charlotte. So I'll give you 25 seconds to tweet that out. Make sure the person who did it first gets all the credit. <laughs> How long did this uh, take to come together at the Yankees? Uh, frankly, I'm not quite sure what day it is today. Let's say three days ago, over the weekend or so, in the last couple of days, and we started focusing on uh, on the specific return here uh, this afternoon. So it, it, once we got comfortable with the idea of the of the bundle, specific return here about these players individually, uh, individually involving cash, uh, as well as an incentive, and uh, even a couple of similar type bundle situations with various clubs throughout the league. In the end, putting all three of them in the same deal wound up netting us the most impactful result, which is what we decided to do. Instead of doing individual deals, it might have added a little bit of lower level depth at various places in the organization or in our in our prospect list, so to speak, we decided to uh, do what we could to secure the most uh, potential impact talent. Back to bearing the lead, uh, will Moncada play every day, you think? The manager will be here after this, but yeah, we're not bringing him here to sit. We're bringing him here to, to continue the development that needs to take place in Chicago. He still has some work to do. He's obviously still very young, uh, but we feel that he's ready for that next challenge. that's going to happen in Chicago. And the thought is that uh, it's time for Yon to, to get that opportunity to take that next step. In many cases, Rick, uh, general managers complain about information getting out there, numerous teams being rumored. In some of these cases, 
like in yours and your organizations, uh, could it work to your benefit uh, with other teams knowing or hearing that uh, other teams may be close? You know, I know that the the hit rate on most of the rumors involving us is probably around 20-25% in terms of how accurate a lot of the stuff that gets out is. <laughs> the Cub deal made it take a hit. Um, so I just sort of assume that's similar throughout the rest of the league, and I'm guessing that the other clubs view it similarly, that they know that there's a lot of smoke and, and noise this time of year, and you certainly don't react based on based upon a rumor we've had enough conversations clubs have known exactly where we sat they've known our asking prices they've known what we're trying to accomplish for not just the last few weeks but for several months and back up and through last off season so i don't think anyone is necessarily motivated by a rumor or, or responds to what may be tweeted out because they've already had essentially fully vetted that conversation with us directly already Rick, uh, in Senior year in high school was some people rated as the best player in that draft. Yeah. Just how high do you see his ceiling, and, and, and how excited are you to be able to get a guy that has that pedigree? It's, we're extremely excited around here. Blake was a guy who was very high on our draft boards. We debated him right up through making the pick last year. Uh, he has numerous supporters throughout the organization who have been championing his cause since since his amateur days, since that senior year of high school. Uh, I don't like putting comps on players, but we do view him as having a extremely high ceiling and a guy who, you know, when you start looking around at the uh, Eloy Jimenez's and Luis Robert and Yo Mancada's, that he fits into that potential mold of a, of a potential high-impact offensive player who can also help you defensively. Tommy's been great. This deal doesn't get done without Tommy Canley. I mean, we were, certainly weren't looking to move him. We did have he was very popular over the cat flash, excuse me, over the past few weeks, uh, and we had a decent sense that he had this kind of value. But until we started, you know, specifically pushing on the value of certain clubs, uh, we weren't certain that we were going to move him. But given what we're trying to build for the long term, and although he did have additional control, uh, when you have an opportunity to move someone, move someone like that for a, a piece that perhaps fits a little better, a little longer for the long term, it's uh, a sacrifice to the to the near term that we are comfortable making. Are you rebuild, Rick? Well, now that the White Sox piggy bank will get uh, bigger and bigger as the next couple of years go on, how much will that? go into the effect of what you're trying to do with your players as you work toward where you want to go? We know at some point. I mean, look, we were extremely aggressive with the Luis Robert signing. That obviously was quite costly uh, and was an example of us using whatever economic wherewithal we had on tap to, to make an impactful move. Uh, we know at some point here we'll have to pivot back towards the free agent market or acquiring high-priced talent via trade uh, to sort of put the finishing touches on this. We're not anywhere close to that at this time, but certainly uh, whatever uh, revenues that come in that aren't spent on this club and perhaps the remainder of this year and 2018 will be available to put to good use when the time is right. Rick, you've done a lot over the last couple of days, still two weeks before the trading deadline. Same question as the other day. Are you still open for business? We are still open for business. You know, we're, uh, 
we're starting to get a little younger in that clubhouse. So a few guys are going to get an additional opportunity here over the coming weeks and months. It'll be interesting to see. And uh, even if we don't do anything else over the next couple of weeks, we'll have a better assessment of where we are as an organization heading into the off season, and uh, perhaps set some things up for them. There was no cash in this deal. There's no cash in this deal. We did have, I mean, we did have conversations with some clubs about including cash to, in theory, improve the the prospect return. Uh, in the end, regardless of whether there was cash involved in the in another deal or or which combination of players, this was the setup involving all three of these players that allowed us to net the most impactful return. So this is the route we went. And yeah, we were taking a little money back on Clippers. That's correct. We do. Again, we got to get to know these guys. And he's had, uh, he's, as I've pointed out, he had had a little bit of injury issues in the past. So let's get to know him and see how he handles the workload. And if he does, for whatever reason, wind up in the pen, then he could certainly be a value there as well. But for now, we, we view him as a starter. We're getting that opportunity. How do you describe the last week for, for you in this organization? You know, it's it's been an exciting time around here. It, it, it's a... It's a it's an interesting feeling because we're all – tonight was a pretty perfect example. You had a beautiful night. You had a, a nice crowd here at the park and, and a very good one nothing ball game against Clayton Kershaw. But at the same time, I'm guessing a large portion of White Sox Nation was refreshing Twitter to find out what the latest trade rumor was and, and feel hope about the future. So – there's a lot of different things ranging from the way Ricky has them playing on the field on a nightly basis to transactions like this one that build something for the future to, to be pleased about right now. Now, we have a lot of work to do, both on the field and in player development and in continuing to try to acquire similar such players to keep this process moving. But in terms of what we've been able to do you know, since December or last draft or whenever you want to draw that line, uh, you know, we're, we're pleased. We're pleased with how it's gone so far, but again, we know we have more work to do. Rick, given given that he had the control left, is it even though he's the least experienced of the guys, least known name of the guys, would you look at Canely as like the key in that, in pulling this trade together? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm guessing the Yankees will probably answer that question more thoroughly, but. Uh, as I said, Tommy was extremely popular in the trade market and, and carried a lot of value. And I think in this deal, uh, he was an important part for New York to get in order to be able to feel comfortable relinquishing the talent they did. Sox have more talent that may, in fact, be coveted by other teams. We'll talk about that coming up. We'll also talk about the young talent that's debuted for the White Sox in Juan Mancata. That with Kat Garcia of WLS. That's next. Keep it right here. It's White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. MLB.TV every night, every device. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live. Plus, get a free subscription to At-Bat Premium, the number one app for live baseball. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.TV for details. If you had MLB At-Bat Premium, you would have known that last night when Aaron Judge hit a home run to the very very farthest part of Safeco Field, you would have known that StatCast was completely unable to track the darn thing. That's right, Aaron Judge hit a ball so hard and so far that the computers didn't know what to do with it. 
That's the kind of thing you can learn if you have at-bat premium. Seriously, though, you should use the thing. It's amazing. Only Aaron Judge could break computers that strong. It's a blast, and I use it all the time when we're watching White Sox games just to kind of for a lot of different things, but uh, the exit velocities and the uh, the launch angles and all that good stuff, they're all there and kind of fun. And in, in a lot of cases, they help. In some cases, they don't. But in every case, they're fun. Uh, 312-591-8900 is the phone number. Right about 5.05, so about half an hour from now, we're going to talk to James Fegan of The Athletic. He is in Kansas City and you can uh, follow him on Twitter as well, at J.R. Fegan. I'll let you know that right now because what he's doing and what I think the, some of the conversation in the clubhouse is right now is still, I think, and for a good reason, uh, about the guys who have left. We're going to hear from those guys over the next 20 minutes or so from Todd Frazier, from David Robertson, from Tommy Canley about their time with the White Sox. I'm, they're excited to go to a contender. That's the other part of you know going to New York. But... The departure of those three guys is going to affect the team, both in performance, of course, obviously, and personally, I guess, to a certain degree. Uh, Baseball, personally. Here's what I mean. James tweeting just a little while ago that he's been talking with uh, Tim Anderson some, and he tweeted out this quote from Tim. Tim talking about Todd Frazier here. It's tough to see people like him go, Tim said. He's kind of the voice of the locker room, so it's kind of I'm on my own, really, just trying to figure it out myself. He always used to move me, move me over, whatever. He's talking about on the infield there. I learned so much from him just because he was very talkative. We texted yesterday, so he's definitely someone I'm still going to lean on. We'll get the full context of that from James when we talk to him right about 5.05, but as you look at this season, with the expectations that I think a lot of White Sox fans had. I mean, they were pretty well spelled out, starting at SoxFest and going all the way through. You know, there was the trade deadline stuff. I'm sorry, not the trade deadline. The spring training stuff with all the conversations about Jose Quintana and whether or not he'd be dealt before the season started. There were conversations and rumors and all that stuff, really, from the get-go. We talked a lot, even on the show, about whether or not trade rumors was affecting Q's performance Maybe a little bit. Certainly they're affecting his state of mind. He, he, I feel like admitted is the wrong word, but he, all he did was admit to being a human being, I guess. But even still, you know, we saw outings that were, you know, he went eight innings, a one-hit ball and a game here and shut down the Twins there and has had a really good last month and a half or so and seems to be off to a nice start with the Cubs. So congratulations to Q there. But, you know, as, as we go through those stages, I guess, of the season – I think it might be easy to forget how those moves can affect players within. I don't think the White Sox didn't see that coming. I I think, you know, they understand. They've traded players before. They've brought in players before. Caring for that clubhouse dynamic even is something that Rick Hahn kind of talked about focusing on and I guess nurturing to a certain degree over the next little bit as the clubhouse changes, has already changed drastically and may continue to do so. So when you hear Tim, who's had a tough season, and I think really, if, if anything, going back to you know the expectations that were set for this year, making sure you get good returns, making sure you get a, a, a big whole pipeline of top prospects, you know, coming through the system and eventually reaching the major leagues. You know, we've got the very 
end of that line, I guess, in Yuan Mankata, and it's only the end of the line in that he's reached the major leagues. So there's obviously so much development and performance left for him to do. And uh, but Or the beginning of the line with a guy like Luis Rober, who is in the Dominican Summer League, you know, 19 years old, that whole thing. We've, we've got all ends of the spectrum, both ends of the spectrum, I suppose, in that White Sox system now because of some of those trades, because of some of the outlay of, of, of cash in the case of Robert. Um, but there's a middle ground, I guess, and perhaps we're seeing it some with Tim Anderson going through a sophomore slump, a little bit of lack of performance at the plate, to be sure, some unsure defensive plays, some plays that just, you know, maybe got away from him fundamentally, I guess, to a certain degree. I happen to remember one where he's coming across the diamond at guaranteed right field and just he cut the angle too short. I think this is the first game against the Dodgers. He cut the angle uh, too harshly, caused himself to get a bad hop up in the, you know, up in the chest area and unable to get that ball out and thrown over to first base. Properly, I should say. You know, things like that can, you know, jar a guy a little bit. I know that he and Todd were real close. I mean, they used to sit down and look over spray charts and, and talk about where you're playing this guy, where how you're playing that guy, what you can expect out of this, that, and the other. Todd did a lot of things for that clubhouse there. And I guess, and I'll make it since we've had the conversation about Todd Frazier so much over the last few minutes, I'll make a quick programming change for us here. We're going to listen to Todd Frazier's comments on leaving the White Sox clubhouse here in just a second. I do want to tell you, though, that Sox fans, you can join us as the White Sox take on the Cleveland Indians Saturday, July 29th at 6, 10 p.m. First 20,000 fans will receive a 1917 throwback jersey presented by Xfinity. I've seen the jersey. They're awesome. I keep saying that every time I have to read, but I think that's just to remind myself that I need to somehow get my own hands on one. Xfinity X1 will change the way you experience TV. Purchase your tickets today by visiting WhiteSox.com or calling 866 Game. Maybe that's what we have to get to give away next. Because we gave away the Hawk Harrelson alarm clock. You know, everybody was interested in snagging one of those. Maybe we'll see. Maybe we'll see how the 29th goes. You know, in terms of folks at the ballpark, making sure the right people get those jerseys. Give them to your kids. Don't take them yourself. Make sure kids have them first. But if somebody doesn't get one, maybe we here on White Sox Weekly can liberate one from the ballpark and give them to you. That's probably our duty. Uh, let's listen to Todd Frazier uh, as he's leaving the White Sox clubhouse. Found out he got traded. Of course, this this night was was bananas, right? I mean, it was all over the place. We found out, I'm going to say it was right during the, the second segment of the pregame show or perhaps right before we started. I can't remember which. We found out Todd Frazier with a healthy scratch. And, of course, in this game, it's very rare to have an actual healthy scratch. I think everybody understands what's going on there. There's a little bit of caginess that has to happen because talks are ongoing and live and, and negotiations are working. But I think everybody kind of understands, all right, keep your eyes open. So there's Frazier in the dugout all game long, you know, on the top step, back in the clubhouse, and it's the, the watch is on, right? It's hug watch. Todd talked a bit uh, about how crazy a day that was, about how cool it is that he gets to go play for the, the team he Grew up rooting for the New York Yankees. A Jersey kid grew up rooting for the Yankees, though he had some Red Sox fans in his family. I guess that had to be a little tough. Probably not all that tough. Either way, here is Todd Frazier on his departure from the White Sox. It's been crazy. Uh, I'm getting scratched from the lineup, and then uh, 
you know, finally figuring out I got traded, man. It's uh, first and foremost, I, I got to thank uh, you know Rick Hahn for believing me last year and uh, bringing me over here. Uh, the fans have been great. Chicago's been awesome, and uh, it's on to my next uh, next journey here. So uh, you know, we'll see what happens. I haven't talked to um, you know Cashman yet or uh, you know Joe Girardi, but uh, soon I'll talk to him here in a little bit, and we'll we'll go from there. How'd you find out? Um, I talked to Rick Hahn, and uh, you know before the game, he said there might be something going on. So we kind of you know scratched me from the lineup, and uh, you know usually when that happens, usually something's going to go down, and. Uh, Basically, uh, I was in and out of the locker room here, going back and forth, and I seen stuff on TV. And eventually, the, right after the game, they brought me in and uh, told me about the news. So, uh, like I said, it's been fun in Chicago, but uh, you know, I'm also excited to see what's what's in store for me. In what do you York. think about going home? Uh, it's it's pretty cool, to be honest. Uh, you know, we have uh, a little more leeway. You know, maybe I could stay at home a little more and. Uh, uh, or maybe I could stay up in, in the city. So uh, it, it's nice to have a couple of my buddies here coming with me too as well. And uh, like I said, you know, it's it's kind of surreal right now just because, you know, it all happened at once. And uh, you hear the rumors it could have been a different team here and there, but uh, it's the Yankees, so I'm, I'm pretty excited. You grew up rooting for the Yankees, didn't you? Yeah, I, I did. I grew up, I rooted for the Yankees. I, I, I just love baseball. I, I just love it. I, I just remember the first world I ever went on was, was uh, was the old Yankee Stadium, and uh, uh, one of the guys, I think it was Don Mattingly, I actually brought it up to Don a couple years ago about the home run he hit. They won one nothing. And he's like, "Yeah, I remember that day. Actually, I remember the pitcher's name." And I looked it up, and he he remembered like it was yesterday. And I remember the upper deck was shaking, and uh, you know, to you know, to call New York my home now, it's uh, it's it's pretty surreal. This is a team that you felt a connection with, guys in this clubhouse. Uh, how difficult is it going to be for you to? break away yeah it's very difficult I mean goodbyes are tough they're real tough you know saying goodbye to guys like the, the management to uh, Jose Abreu to uh, you know to, to everybody you know Timmy Anderson who has been my locker mate over here for a year and a half uh, it is it's, it's tough it, it's, it's really tough um, there's, a, there's a lot more to it but uh, we understand the business and uh, you know I'm, I'm going to the Yankees so uh, pretty excited to see what happens yeah, you've been wanting to be in a, in a pennant race and here's an opportunity yeah, for you to get back in the one and uh it is it's a great opportunity for me and just to, to showcase what i got and uh to be ready and you know i see the team that they have and uh they have a really good team are you relieved that it's finally seven no I, I guess so i mean i no one be relieved i'm i'm excited right now so uh the process, you understand the process, you understand there's a lot that goes into it, um, but it's baseball at the end of the day, and um, that, that's really it. Those Yankees are three and a half behind the Boston Red Sox in the American League East in the wild card. They're right there with the Rays, and well, right there with the, let's see, what else would it be? Oh, uh, yeah, no, it's the Rays right there. Uh, so we'll see exactly how things break down. Certainly wish the best for Frazier, Robertson, and Canely as they head over to New York. You'll hear from those other two gentlemen when we come back from a quick break. This is White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. That may be an easy discussion. I mean, listen, equal opportunity and all that, but as far as the culinary offerings, I, I feel like the answer is it's pretty straightforward. Uh, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas in July at Guaranteed Rate Field as the Sox take on the Cleveland Indians Friday July 28th, 7, 10 p.m. Purchase this specially priced ticket package to receive a game ticket and a White Sox ugly Christmas hat. They are ugly, which is the point. It's the ugly Christmas hat. You can pair it with your ugly Christmas sweater 
at the ugly Christmas sweater party. You got a hat, puts you over the edge. Hats are limited to the first 1,000 purchases, so get yours today to purchase this specially priced ticket package. Visit whitesocks.com slash Christmas. Weirdly enough, uh, a lot of my friends who are Sox fans, grew up Sox fans, they've actually, they want the hat. They want the ugly Christmas hat more than anything. And they, I keep telling them, listen, I don't come to the game. Come to the game, buy yourself a, an ugly Christmas hat, and be the pride or despair of your family Christmas party on December 25th when you do wear it. To celebrate the holiday, it is a uh, especially fantastically ugly hat. You want to get that one. Um, had mentioned, and, and we just heard from Todd Frazier as he was leaving the White Sox clubhouse, I mentioned that we're going to get to uh, Tommy Canley and to David Robertson as well. Let's do, we'll, we'll hear from Canley first. And I just, you know, to look at Tommy Canley's season real quick, it boggles the mind the improvement that that man was able to make in his own performance. He, toward the end of last season, started to make a few I don't know that they were the same adjustments. In fact, they weren't the same adjustments that he ended up making uh, over spring training and into the year this year. But had started to figure a few things out, had started to throw more strikes, and had started to bear down a little bit uh, with runners on. And, and you saw some pretty impressive innings from Tommy Canley toward the end, maybe the last month of last season. Didn't think that it would that it could get a whole lot better. The velocity and stuff is there. We talked with Kat Garcia about that earlier in the show, and it was a lot of fun to watch, especially once he harnessed it all, started fixing his legs a little bit. And and I don't, I don't mean, you know, from a stamina standpoint. I just mean from a mechanical standpoint. And you know, it started driving toward home plate a little more, and that's what he told me when we started the season. And the strikeouts were seemingly never-ending, cut down the walks in a really big way, let up, I think, four home runs, three home runs all season long. I mean, the guy had been great. And a 92, 91-mile-an-hour changeup that just destroys right-handed hitters is a ton of fun to watch. And I I will tune in. I have tuned in to Tommy Canley games with the Yankees. He's pitched one and struck out two so far already, uh, one inning, two strikeouts so far. It's been fun to watch. I think another guy that you can root for a little bit, uh, hopefully in a playoff scenario for each of those three gentlemen. Here he is, uh, Tommy Canely, on his way out of the White Sox clubhouse just the other night. Right now, I mean, just a lot of chaos, I guess, going on. So I'm just trying to pack up and get to where I got to go. But uh, it, uh, it seems pretty exciting. You hope going to a team that's in the playoff hunt at this point? Uh, yeah, I mean, they're in the hunt, and uh, I think it's going to be it's going to be really fun to go over there and experience this. Is it a relief knowing you're going with a couple of your teammates? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it is. Uh, it's nice to go with a couple guys. That way, you're still familiar with a few people. I know a few guys over there because I mean that's where I came up. But uh, it's it's it'll be nice. How much did Don Cooper and the White Sox help you this season? Uh, I, they helped me a lot. It's over the past two seasons. I mean, I was a completely different pitcher from 2010 to 2014, 15. And when I came over here, I mean, they helped me a lot with a lot of stuff. And, I mean, it's really paid off, as everybody can tell. Tell me, the word is that they would not have made a trade of this magnitude unless you were included, that you were one of the key guys in this trade. What does that mean to you? Uh, I mean, it means a lot to me, but uh, I'm still going to stay humble like always. I don't really, you know, look into that stuff that much, but... It's uh, it's cool knowing that I'm going back to where I, you know, originally came. How did you find out about the trade? How did how did you hear about it? And how it was developed? 
I mean, there was a lot of rumors going around. I mean, obviously you're going to hear it. So I just kind of just to the side, and then when we came in, it's when they, we really found out. What's, what's, what's it been like to you here, kind of give you, you know, fond memories of, of the south side, you know, going forward in your career? <laughs> yeah, I've had a lot of fun times here. I'm going to miss all these guys, the organization, everybody was great to me. I mean, I got nothing but great things about this place. What's this season been like? I mean, you can make the opening your roster, get called up, and here you are trading. Uh, I mean, this season's been pretty pretty wild. I, again, I mean, last year, too, is pretty crazy at the beginning. But uh, this year, I mean, definitely a lot more. It's, <laughs> I'm kind of lost for words, to be honest. But uh, it's it's been fun. I've felt like I figured it out, and, I mean, I'm just going to keep doing what I've been doing. So Kane Lee heads over to the Yankees. Kind of interesting that each of the three players dealt to the Yankees have, you know, kind of one of those baseball oddity things, have connections to the Yankees' prior ones. In Frazier's case, he grew up rooting for the Yankees. Robertson drafted, signed by, and brought up by the Yankees before signing as a free agent with the White Sox. Kane Lee, kind of a similar thing. He was drafted by the Yankees in 2010. So Rockies pick up in the Rule 5 draft in 2013, and then it was Yancy Almonte to the Rockies from the White Sox to acquire Kane Lee. Almonte was the guy the Sox got for Gordon Beckham, if you remember. Uh, so just kind of connections all throughout. David Robertson spoke as well in the clubhouse before he took off and headed east. Robertson, no stranger to the Yankees, of course. He was their closer prior to coming over to the south side. Here's David Robertson. You know, I'm excited about the opportunity. Uh, I don't know uh, what part of the bullpen I'll be in, but I'll be in the bullpen. So, uh, uh Hopefully I can get back there and help him win some ball games. How tough has this uh, last couple of weeks been uh, for you and your family? Uh, it's been, it, was, it was tough, uh, especially my wife being due and a lot of rumors floating around. So it was nice uh, you know, that uh, they gave us time and we were able to have our daughter and kind of get settled in. I know it'll be a little while for her. She'll be able to travel, but uh, you know everything went smoothly. So if the trade was going to go down, this was the best time for from, us. From the White Sox perspective, were they... Were they uh, did they, you know, were they with you as far as information, you know, as far as where it was going? And obviously they're a very considerate group of people. Uh, yeah, I mean, I found out probably 20 minutes ago. Uh, and uh, But, I mean, obviously, you know, there's rumors flying around. Everybody sees it online now. Um, they were very, you know, I can't speak high enough about them. They gave me a great opportunity here. We played hard. We won some ball games. We just uh, we were never able to really get it done here. And uh, I know that now I'm part of the rebuilding process, and uh, they're sending me out, but uh, they're bringing in some new pieces, and I'm going to help a team compete and hopefully get the playoffs. You How much is in the standings? What does that mean to you with a chance to be in the playoffs and even further? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, been, I've been in that battle before. I've been on that team, and uh, I've been to the playoffs, so uh, it's a homecoming for me, and I'm excited about it. It's been familiar. Isn't that helped the transition rather going to a team where you're not familiar with at this point in your career? Yeah, I mean, it's easy. I know everyone who's over there, so it'll be like going back home. I mean, my son was born there. From the perspective of the city and the organization and the fans, what what are your thoughts moving on? I've had a great experience here. Uh, this was a it was a big change after leaving New York, and uh, uh, you know I've had some some tough battles here, and uh, you know wasn't always throwing my best, uh, but uh, this clubhouse, this group of guys, was a lot of fun, and uh, they taught me a lot, and I've learned a lot about myself pitching here for sure. Does it also help for you? We have Todd and Tommy. There at least some guys you could help them with the transition too? Yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll blend in fine. Everyone who gets into a new clubhouse blends in, you know. They become friends quickly. That's David Robertson. We'll hit the break. News is next. We'll talk with James Fegan of The Athletic from Kansas City when we come back. This is White Sox Weekly on WLSAM 890. 
Now, White Sox Weekly, the official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. Get the fireworks ready. White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Yes, it's White Sox Weekly here for about another half hour or so. Pre-game show starts at 540 this evening. On the pregame show, we'll tell you things like who's batting where and playing what position and wearing which glove. I promise. It'll be extensive. It's that kind of extensive. For some of the information on that pregame show, we're basically just going to steal it from James Fegan, who covers the White Sox for the Athletic and is in Kansas City and is having conversations with a lot of people this afternoon. Hi, James. How are you? Uh, Unreasonably hot. (laughs) It is. Apparently, it is 100 and umpteen degrees down there in Kansas City, and I can't imagine that's comfortable for anyone. Uh, I believe we've lost 40% of the beat has turned into <laughs> puddles. Uh, laptops have been lost from excessive sweating. Uh, casualties are great. How are, uh, how, how's the morale of the men? You know, it's a little subdued. I mean, they definitely <laughs> lost basically the most vocal leader in Todd Frazier. Uh, they're a seven-game losing streak. Uh, they have seen much of the veteran leadership traded away. Uh, they anticipate more. So it's not like the most the buoyant uh, atmosphere that's ever been in a major league locker room. At the same time, uh, multiple interviews interrupted by Yolmer Sanchez singing today, so it's not oh. entirely downcast. Yeah, no, so that's something. Nice to see Yolmer bouncing around. Tell me uh, about your, your chat with uh, with Tim Anderson or about everybody's chat with Tim Anderson. How yeah, it's It's been a rough go for Tim on a lot of different fronts this year, obviously personally and professionally. Um, he's out of the lineup tonight. I believe Tyler Saladino's at the top and playing short. That hasn't changed, right? We're still right there with Saladino at shortstop. Uh, there have been no changes that I know of. Okay, okay. So what, where are things at with, with Tim, and, and how was a conversation with him over the last couple of days? You know, Tim always kind of puts a positive spin on everything. He's not someone to be downcast, but then again, he does kind of admit that this has been the most difficult year for him. And he he kind of said something that was you know a little haunting about Todd Frazier. He kind of said like I'm on my own now. I have to figure it out, which sounds kind of deeply sad, but doesn't come out of his mouth in a way where he feels lost or anything like that. Mm. You know, Tim is a very resilient and intelligent individual. So as much as he's in the dumps right now, there's no real loss in organizational confidence in him. Todd Stevenson backed that up again today. There's always, you know, the expectation that with his profile, as much as swing and misses in his game as rookie season, that, you know, a sophomore slump of sorts or just a year where his stats didn't look as good uh, without a foundational improvement uh, was possible. So I don't think anyone's panicking. I don't think Tim is panicking. But, you know, obviously he's had the struggles he's had. Um, he kind of brushed off uh, Renneria's comments about last night about him not having a direct path out of the betting box. He, he says, like, you know, it's a possibility, but it's not something he's, you know, you know, up at night worrying about, but mm-hmm. um, he looked at it a little bit on video and seen it. It's more just about, you know, <laughs> he's frequently, he's not having a great year at the plate. So he's had a couple instances where he's off balance as he's finishing his swing and it leads to kind of slow, uh, you know, exit pass out of the box. So that's been happening frequently and, you know, it doesn't look good in, in concert with everything else that's struggling. Because yeah, he's looking, we're talking with James Fegan of The Athletic here on White Sox Weekly. Ricky has talked quite a lot uh, about getting guys, you know, to bust it down the uh, down the first baseline, and and Tim is Tim is a guy who has a whole abundance of speed, and there seems to be that kind of this conversation, and we we heard it very late on the post game show last night with Ricky Renneria's comments that 
is kind of the spinning of wheels, I guess. I, I tend to think that a lot more of it has to do with what you're doing before you're getting out of the box than getting out of the box in and of itself. Right, because, you know, Renneria has been kind of consistent about, um, you know, enforcing that player's hustle throughout the year. I mean, I'll recall Cody Ashey uh, being taken out of a game for it. And he's also talked about Tim Anderson needing to do it in the past. But he really didn't take that kind of tone with uh, Anderson for the incident last night or for the butt he got double played on um, against the Live Series Dodgers. Yeah. Um, so it leads me to believe he doesn't feel like effort is a particular issue with Tim Anderson. And you know, Tim Anderson is not a lazy guy. Uh, so I really don't think that's a major issue of him being, you know, privileged or, you know, self-satisfied that he's not going to give maximum effort. That's not really one of the things you worry about for Tim Anderson. All right. Feels good to bury that hatchet. Glad we can move on from there. Let's uh, let's talk about the arms that are down in the minors. A, a pair of 35-year-olds apparently added uh, to the White Sox minor league system in Gene Machi and Mark Lowe and, of course, the continued quality performances from Ronaldo Lopez. How close do you think we are to, to shaking things up a little bit, whether it be in the rotation or whether it be in the bullpen, just for sake of length and, and keeping by keeping guys uh, alive and able to go multiple innings when needed? Well, I don't – I can't imagine a world where Ronaldo Lopez, you know, isn't up by sometime mid-August. Okay. He just, he's just kind of – dominating every night at AAA and the White Sox are not the sort of team that's going to uh, just unreasonably hold down someone down there who has a natural next step in his development just clearly marked out for him for the sake of trying to lose as many games as possible. They've been up front that that's not what they're trying to squeeze out this year. So they obviously have to make a move in the rotation with one of some of the veterans that they're trying to, I don't know, get something out of or, you know, just kind of put on a positive track at some point. But um, I'm, I'm thinking that'd be inevitable at some point. Given the way their bullpen is, uh, given how many guys they have in the bullpen who are sort of struggling to some degree, I always, I just assume that you know Machi and Lowe are just kind of a natural depth uh, move. They have, they've called up so much of the Charlotte Knights bullpen. There's not really much in the way of prospects uh, even down there for them to call up mm-hmm. now that Zach Birdie has gone down. So they, they really need to make that move in general. At the same time, Anthony Swarzak is a top-level reliever this entire season. So, and he's a pending free agent. So the idea that he could get traded uh, at some point in the next two weeks is, you know, obvious. That, that def- definitely could happen. There's got to be interest for him. I, uh, I've talked to scouts from other teams who are super interested in him. So I'm sure those conversations are happening. And Dan Jansen's even coming around the past couple of weeks. So yeah. He's left-handed, so he'll be pitching after both of us are dead. So <laughs> that could be a thing as well. Uh, yeah, it, it, it was a logical death move. What um? Sorry, you got me there with the Dan Jennings thing. What uh? What do you what do you think uh, about guys like you know? Because when Jones and Putt, sorry, I'm still laughing about the Dan Jennings thing. When You're guys like, about Tuck, him, like burying you and sleeping dirt over your head. I, I am, and being really happy about doing it, and then moving on and going to pitch That's both ends of a double hitter or something. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I'm thinking about. Uh, so as as you had Jones and Putnam go down uh, over the course of this year, t- guys like Canley and Swarzak stepped up. I talked with Coop. On the pregame show the other night um, about the potential for other relievers to move up and take steps, I, I think I think we've seen some things out of Gregory Infante and Juan Manaya at times. What, how much, how much there do you think is there with those two guys? Uh, I'm probably higher on uh, Manaya if I had to be forced, just because uh, you know he's he's shown 
mid-90s heat and a bat missing slider, which should be effective against right-handed hitters. Sure. Um, if he can find any kind of consistency with his command. Obviously, if he had, uh, you know, top-level command, we, he wouldn't be someone who's uh, fighting for the majors at this, this point in his career. But, you know, guys find that enough to succeed in relief. I mean, Tom McCanley probably went from, uh, you know, 30-grade command before the season to 40, and still below average with his stuff. You know, it just unlocked everything for him. So if there are a lot of guys with the level of stuff, and I think Madaya would be on that, not maybe Tommy Canley level, but if they can get him up a grade in command, all of a sudden he's a viable late-inning guy. So, yeah, we could see something click like that in the last two months. So we got all the way to Benaya and Infante before mentoring Yoan Mancata, and that's probably on me. What's it been like to, to watch him play and, and have crowds, you know, just one at, at guaranteed right field, but uh, to have that crowd watch him, to have that anticipation there, and to have him in the clubhouse changes uh, anything real notable that you've kind of come across? I mean, it's not, it's rare you see uh, basically a roar of the crowd for a guy like taking a taking a slider like an inch off the edge of the plate or, or clapping and cheering for someone following a pitch back to stay alive in the count. So, like, yeah, there's this huge buzz of excitement of everyone wanting to, uh, you know, believe that this is the next step. This is the, the finally throwing the fans a bone of this is the view of what's going to be the future. And so far he's been pretty electrifying. He's kind of, you know, given a lot of – wait to the idea that this is going to be somebody we could build around and watch for 10 years and will be every bit as, you know, electrifying as watching Chris Sale and Jose Quintana was at times. So he's definitely had some excitement. Uh, you know, team-wise, I think some guys, you know, might be <laughs> kind of more down in the dumps about the way, you know, the games are going at large. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, Yelmer, he's taking the idea of, uh, you know, the fact that he's not going to play every day as frequently pretty much in stride and, I think Tyler Saladino is, you know, just happy that his back is feeling better and happy to be out there as well. So I don't really anticipate any problems about loss of playing time uh, with him. Uh, Tim Anderson spoke mostly positively about the idea of working together. He says, you know, kind of speaks enough English to get by as far as their communication as a double play team. Mm -hmm. So they're coming along as, you know, possibly corner, like double play team for the next five, six years. So generally I would say it's very positive. Can you update us real quick on, uh, and we'll do it in the pregame show too, uh, just steal this straight from you. What was the update on, on Lurie Garcia? As we're doing the show here, sometimes it's kind of tough to keep tabs on what's going on when the White Sox are out on the road. And that's that's why we called. What's what's up with Lurie? Uh, man, that's a weird situation, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the update is kind of no update. Uh, he's still hitting off the tee and doing a little bit of live VP uh, against pitchers in Arizona but with no indication of when the rehab start would be. Now, I think I want to say it was Saturday or Sunday when I asked Rick Renneria about it, and he said it was a day or two off uh, for his rehab assignment. And, mm -hmm. you know, obviously it's Saturday. He's not on a rehab assignment. So it's definitely a situation where it seems like they're expecting, you know, a day or two to go by and have some sort of improvement in his status where he can go on rehab, but it just hasn't happened. I mean, he, you know, didn't have a broken finger. He didn't have an MRI that came back with a torn ligament. So I think no one really expected to be a month and a half out from his injury, and we're still talking about when is he going to start on rehab. So I think this entire situation is very bizarre and unexpected, and I think that's true for the White Sox as well, that they expect him to be, uh, you know, better sooner, not to knock on Lurie at all. It's just it's progressed very strangely. Yeah. I mean, for what it's, I jammed a finger playing rec league hoops my junior year of college, and that thing wasn't right until I graduated. So, I mean, those things can linger. I'm, I mean, I'm no professional athlete by any stretch, but eh, fingers are weird. 
Yeah, I uh, I remember talking to Larry like right after he came out of the game. I think it was the Cleveland series, and he like came back. He jammed it and got a hit afterwards. Yeah, he did. He jammed it again. And I joked to him like, "Oh, it must not have been that good, uh, not that bad." You got a hit afterwards, and he laughed. And that was a month and a half ago. <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's been a really strange process. Man. And also, I feel really bad about that joke now. Well, I mean, hopefully Lurie can come back because what he was doing with the bat was pretty important to this club, and he added a certain dynamic out there in, in center field, at least offensively, that was pretty fun to watch. So, James, appreciate yeah, the time. he was definitely himself as a starter. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, one of the, I believe he's still one of the top three guys in offensive war on this club, especially now that, that Todd Frazier has gone, if, uh, if those numbers haven't moved all that much in the last four or five days. All right, James, appreciate it. Thanks so much. Uh, cool down out there in Kansas City and get yourself – get make sure Merck's okay. Would you just check on Scott? We have to do these, these wellness checks. I'm, I'm going to change his uh, cold towel on his forehead. <laughs> good, good. Excellent. Thank you, James. We'll talk to you soon. All right. James Feagan of The Athletic. Follow him on Twitter at J.R. Feagan. He and I, all of us really are concerned. But Dan Hayes of Comcast Sports, I was tweeting out, the, the White Sox took early infield today – Despite the fact that the heat index, and don't ask me exactly what that is, all I know is that when you see it on the Weather Channel or whatever and people are talking, the weather meteorologists are talking about the heat index and just freaking out. 112 apparently was the heat index in Kansas City, which is just, I don't know, it seems warm. That just seems to, gloves could melt at that temperature, I think. And at that point, at that point, probably, probably just wait inside. It's like the scene in Sandlot when they're all, it's too hot out, Benny. It's too hot. Let's go to the pool. And then Benny berates them for four or five minutes, which is a really great scene. They have a couple of cokes to go to the pool. And uh, and Wendy Peppercorn. That is the that is the beginning of Squince Palidoris and Wendy Peppercorn. I have totally derailed. I'm going to hit the break. Come back. We'll do the farm report. Take you up to the 530 news. Pre-game show, so pre-game show starts at 540. This is White Sox Weekly on WLSAM 890. Welcome back. Sox, it's so hot out here, Benny. Bacon like a toasted cheeser. I don't really know what a toasted cheeser is. Like a toasted cheese sandwich? They're hot, melted. Anyway, it's really warm in Kansas City. Heat index of like 150 degrees, and the White Sox were taking early infield today because that's the kind of dedication this team has to the game. Hopefully it ends up in a win. The White Sox have lost their last seven, looking for a dub tonight with Mike Pelfrey and Jason Vargas on the hill. Remember, White Sox have tattooed Jason Vargas in a start or two so far this year, so hopefully the offense picks up and clocks him tonight. Uh, we have to get you in the last couple of minutes here of White Sox Weekly. Your farm report will head down and find out what all your favorite White Sox prospects are up to. Of course, one of them is up with the White Sox, but we'll talk a little bit about Yohan Mankata as well. Here it is. Your what the hell's going on out here? White Sox Weekly Farm Report. We need a live rooster to take the curse off Jose's glove, and nobody seems to know what to get Millie or Jimmy for their wedding present. Candlesticks always make a nice gift, and uh, maybe to find out where she's registered, maybe a place setting or a silverware pen. On WLS AM 890. Okay, let's get to it. All righty, so... One of the newest additions to the White Sox farm system, Blake Rutherford, had his first extra base hit with the White Sox in the White Sox organization. He's down at Kannapolis. That's low A. Yesterday he was two for four, had himself a double, and drove in two as well. We're going to skip all around levels of the organization here, too, uh, just, you know, for funsies. Ronaldo Lopez has thrown 31 two-thirds innings over his last five starts. 
in those five starts in those 31 and two-thirds innings. He has a 1-7-1 ERA and has struck out 39 in his last start. He went six and struck out six. The man just continues to rack up quality start after quality start. Now, there have been a couple of, although not many recently, a couple of bumps in the road here or there. And when it gets wild from Lopez, and it, and it can, the walks pile up and you, know, you give up a dinger with a couple on and that's going to affect the line some. But for the most part, Lopez has been very, very good of late. Uh, a couple of promotions as well over the last um, of the last week or so. Canapolis uh, brought up Evan Skog, a guy who was drafted third in third round this last year, and Alex Call as he's coming back from an injury. Uh, the two or one of the men who was acquired in that Fraser Robertson Canley deal. Ian Clarkin goes to Winston Salem. Brandon Easterling goes there as well. Uh, Jake Peter went up to Triple A Charlotte to play second base for the Knights. That, of course, because Yohan Mankata got called up to the White Sox to play second base for them. Uh, and then the Birmingham Barons, oh, they got someone else too. Uh, Danny Mendick. Danny Mendick got brought up to the uh, Birmingham Barons to play for them. Last night it was Rochester over Charlotte, 7-6. to six. Uh, Reimer Liriano has been pretty interesting of late. Two for four, had a walk at a stolen base as well. Jake Peter, who we just mentioned, getting called up there. Two for four. Danny Hayes, two for four with a dinger. And Carson Fulmer starting to, starting to round things back together some. It had been a rough, I want to say, end of uh, beginning of June into a little bit of July, maybe the end of May, had been a little rough for Fulmer. After starting the season really well, probably the first six weeks or so for Fulmer were good. Eh, not getting as deep into games as perhaps you'd like, but it's early on. Carson Fulmer, six innings, three hits, two runs, two strikeouts, two homers. The long ball has gotten to Fulmer a little bit this season, so we'll just have to kind of see where things even out there. Um, let's see, heading down to Canapolis, Jake Berger, the White Sox first pick in the draft has played well of late one for four with a walk, puts together a pretty good week for Jake Berger too. Uh, that's just part of your farm report here on White Sox weekly, uh, today. You know, it'll be interesting to see. We've talked a little bit about some of those young guys and whether they're coming up when they might be coming up. Oh, I forgot the whole Zach Collins thing. Uh, Zach Collins homered in two straight nights. This was back on, uh, let's see, the 20, when is it, 22nd. Yes, yeah, so the 20th and the 21st, he homered. Uh, 14th home run of the season. Nice to see him get that done there. Uh, so some of these, a lot of the young prospects have really come around. Remember, Collins, most of his season, contact had been a problem, had hit for power, the on-base was there, drawing a boatload of walks, but hadn't really hit for average for what that's worth. A lot of things. I'm not saying it's dismissing it out of hand, but it is worth some. Uh, but he's now starting to get, I think, probably a little bit more contact-driven, and uh, the pop is kind of coming into that bat as well. So we'll keep you posted, too, on the Gigaton postgame show as to uh, what the affiliates are all up to this afternoon and into this evening. AAA, AA, Winston-Salem, all that stuff. Uh, looking through the schedule right now on the 22nd, the uh, Charlotte Knights are just about to get going here. Birmingham plays in a little while as well, and Winston-Salem is in their warm-ups too. So by the end of the night, we're going to have a full minor league recap for you here on the post-game show. 
That said, we've got the uh, pregame show coming up in just a couple of minutes. But before we go, I, I don't want to forget to tell you a couple things. Sox fans, you don't want to miss the White Sox signature podcast, The Cycle. Comedian and Chicagoan Pat McGann, along with a rotating group of co-hosts, chat with athletes and celebrities about sports, life, and everything in between. Subscribe via your podcast app, any old podcast app today. It is a very funny podcast, and Pat McGann's a very funny dude. Also, Sox fans, for the first time ever, the Chicago White Sox are offering a limited edition cancer ribbon White Sox cap. $10 from every cap sold will aid Chicago White Sox charities and Rush University Medical Center in supporting cancer research. Caps are available in park and at the Chicago Sports Depot for a limited time starting July 26th. Right, so by the time the White Sox come back to host the Cubs, those caps will be available for you at the park and at the Chicago Sports Depot right across the street from the ballpark. Get your hat today and join the team for a great, great cause. That is going to do it for us here on White Sox Weekly this afternoon. I have a few thank yous to hand out, first and foremost, to our producer, Adam Studzinski. Adam, thanks a ton, man. Uh, thanks for calling, texting. Most of all, thanks for listening. Thanks to Dave Zaslowski, who through a uh, you know crazy couple of days at the ballpark, the trade, Yohan Mankata calling up, a lot of things to do out there. And Dave helps us out there trying to make sure that everything from that park gets onto the show and makes its way to you. Pre-game show is coming up in just a few minutes, 540. We'll get that thing starting. News is next. I'm Connor. Thanks for listening to White Sox Weekly on WLSAM 890.